0: Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop, building the church at home, a place where faith and family meet.
1: Insight from a priest, a mother, and a whole bunch of others. I'm Emily Lugo.
0: And I'm Father Jason Cargo. Join us as we enter St. Joseph's Workshop.
1: Today we are excited to announce that we will have our first guest joining us. We have invited Ojas Anamder, the St. Joseph Associate Director of Youth Ministry, to join us today. OGIS coordinates the Middle School Youth Ministry and Middle School Confirmation Program. Through his ministry experience, he will have a lot to add to today's conversation on freedom and free will.
0: Awesome. So I'm just so excited that uh, OGIS, you're able to join us and, and be with us. And, and we're nearing, this This episode is going to uh, air around the 4th of July, and so Thus, the whole reason around freedom and stuff. So, Ojas, I want to hear first and foremost from you. Like, what do you like to do on 4th of July? Do you like to blow things up or what do you like to do?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll just go with yes. Uh, no, it's uh, the older I get, the more I realize fireworks are expensive. Yeah, right? they are expensive. They're uh, very expensive. So I wait to celebrate with my parents because they will pay for the fireworks. That's me. a good idea. Um, but no barbecue, <laughs> just hanging out with family and friends is, is really the, the main thing.
0: Okay, awesome. You know, I remember just in my own family, my family would take us out into the country and we'd light these different fireworks. And and of course, as kids, we also would have a bunch of extra fireworks and they would create little like explosive devices for like insects and stuff. Um, oh. <laughs> it was really, it was a total guy thing. I would see like these, there's this beetle that was yellow and black and had long antennae and and um, it would put it in a jar with some black cats. Yeah, it didn't manage very well. But I don't uh,
2: think it would. Did the did the jar survive? The jar survived, yes. That's impressive.
0: And the other thing, we also had BB guns, and so we tried to like shoot black cats out of the BB guns, you know, have explosive <laughs> things as you get shot out. Anyway, you guys are all discovering fun things about uh, Father Jason growing up on a creek with, with a bunch of brothers <laughs> and friends.
1: And if your children like to do these things, know that they may turn out to be a priest. So it's okay, parents.
0: <laughs> Emily, what kind of things would you all do during Fourth of July?
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, I think the big thing is just grilling out. That's a big part of it. And just having fun. I like like fireworks, but I have to say that as of late, especially when you have really little ones, it gets harder and harder to go and enjoy those. You think about the crowd and wrestling to get out there. You know, I don't do the personal ones or we're shooting them off, but like I like to go and watch the fireworks shows. Um, but as of late, we normally just watch it on TV. A little lame, but it works for us.
0: Yeah, that works. Definitely. It you doesn't. <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> have you all ever been to like Celebrate Freedom, uh, the, the Christian concert at South Fork?
1: No. no, I've always wanted to go, but no, I've never made it out there. Yeah,
0: there for a little while, I would go out there frequently on 4th of July, too. And, you know, I think that uh, the whole idea of 4th of July, you know, we think of it as a, a family gathering, but, you know, we talk about freedom, and a lot of times whenever I preach at mass i I want to talk about what actually freedom is, right so we think of Fourth of July we think of how all the different how we want our independence from Great Britain and we have the freedom to do this and that um but uh you know uh freedom is more than just the ability to do whatever we want right there's that Rolling Stones quote i'm I'm free to do what I want any old time right so um I don't think that's true though right no. Yeah, I mean, what happens if we if we just choose to, um, you know, become addicted to stuff, right? So are we truly free?
1: You know, and that's something that that concept of freedom is something that is so um, controversial because it seems like society is telling us we have that freedom to do whatever we want. Um, and yet our faith shows us that that's not exactly true, you know, because at what point does my personal freedom infringe on somebody else's rights? So, yeah, it's kind of.
0: You know, I think you're exactly right, Emily. Like I, I I see this as, you know, right now our culture, especially in this postmodern culture, we're really focused on like, oh, I get to choose even uh, to be something I'm not, right? So if I'm a man, biologically, if I'm a man, then I can identify myself as something, uh, as a woman, right? And that's what our culture is saying. Um, I have that freedom. Well, no, you don't. You, A man is a man. A woman is a woman. So uh, I do think that that's uh, (laughs) woven into all sorts of aspects of our culture, right? I do want to say real quickly, uh, um, there's a saint, St. Bonaventure, uh, wrote this quote. Uh, He said that God made man and woman in his image and likeness. In his image and likeness, he made man and woman. And we image God. By having the freedom to choose the good, right, we image God by having the freedom. It's that free will, right—the ability to choose, uh, especially choose the good. We image God, but we are like God when we choose the good. Now that's a powerful statement, right? And that's what—that's um, what the saints are, right? The the walking saints. They're they're people who have chosen the good of God, right? A couple of quotes here from the Catechism: Freedom is the power rooted in reason and will to act or not to act, to do this or that. So to perform deliberate actions on one's own responsibility by free will, one shapes, one's own life. Human freedom is a force for growth and maturity and truth and goodness. It attains its perfection when directed toward God, our beatitude. So that's the Catholic catechism, 1,731. So freedom is that power rooted in, in the will. Um, have you guys ever uh, had the freedom to choose something? Maybe Ojas, you can respond to this, and you chose not the good, and what what happened? I guess I'm asking oh, you to yes, make a confession. Wait, this is not the sacrament of confession. I can't. I can't say anything.
2: No, within reason. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, growing up, it was just always. It was always just easy to to fall into, to lying just about anything. And it became a very big habit. Um, I would end up lying about just anything. You could ask me something point blank. And I, th- the answer is just right in front of you, but I would go the opposite just because I could. Um, it it got pretty bad. It, it uh, really deteriorated the trust between my parents and me. And that took years to really start to heal um, and there's still moments even now that you can see some of those wounds um, that I caused right there just trying to do that. And I know they were at their wit's end just trying to figure out how do we discipline him and, and show him that what he's doing is wrong. Um, because, I mean, punishment was never really a big thing in the long run for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd feel it once and then I'd forget about it. Um, so it's just that concept of discipline and it wasn't really until I was in high school that I had a youth minister who was talking about free will and uh, all this idea of, of choosing goodness was to do that, you have to be a disciple. And that word is found in discipline and sort of making these connections. And it was not just yes. discipline, uh, not just the self-discipline that I had to learn, but it's also the discipline and in, in where my parents and teachers and what they were trying to instill in me was their expectations, as well as consequences, both good and bad, and how that actually can change um, the way my life trajectory can go.
0: Yes. And and so choosing the good is like creating a discipline. And we call that like the virtue, right? Mm-hmm. A virtue is a habitus, a, a good uh, strength or habit that is formed within the human person. When we choose the good, it reinforces that strong habit, which becomes a virtue. And that virtue propels us to greater freedom. You know, you think of, um, for instance, uh, you know, the like, let's say prayer life, right? So that's a, a great one. So, uh, if, uh, I certainly any day I have the choice to, to wake up or not, right. To sleep in and say, forget it. I'm, I'm going to ignore my, my holy hour. I'm just going to push that snooze button. I'm going to hit it like three, four times and I'm just going to roll over. Right. Everyone's, uh, um, you know, has that ability to choose. And if I end up doing that over and over again, I become, uh, you know, better, for better word, uh, addicted to pushing the snooze button and I, and being lazy first thing in the morning. Well, uh, if I do the opposite and that doesn't bring me freedom, that doesn't bring me joy that I I'm now captivated. I'm captured by that, that, that snooze button, that evil snooze button. <laughs> Sometimes I hit that snooze button even harder. Um, but any, anyway, the, uh, but if I'm choosing to get up right away and I build this habit of getting up and and then, and that habit itself propels me forward to the freedom of, of having that prayer, then I become more free to be able to choose that good, right? Remember that I think the whole point is that freedom is not the freedom in itself, it's the freedom to choose the good. That's what we've made for, right? Uh, not just to be free to choose whatever I want what, any old time, but Rolling Stones were not theologians, they were singers, Uh, but it's the freedom to choose the good. And when we choose the good over time, like getting up, praying every day, uh, that ends up propelling us towards the good. The virtue uh, allows us to grow. Emily, do you have any uh, stories in your own life uh, regarding free will and your choice of the good? Or the choice of evil.
1: Yeah, interesting. (laughs) Well, first of all, I have to say, you know, thank you, Ojas, for sharing that. Um, Just giving a little bit of perspective on your life, because I think as a parent, you know, especially when you're struggling with your kids who maybe aren't making the right choices, you, you know, you have those questions and doubts about, oh, are they going to make the right choices? And so you, I mean, it goes to show whether you're blowing up bugs like Father Jason in his (laughs) past or telling lies, you know, that each of us comes to a point in our life where we can make that decision um, to choose the good, to kind of make that step and make the right choice. Are
0: you mind. saying that blowing up bugs are good <laughs> or evil?
1: Um, I would say that <laughs> while I'm not opposed to squashing them, I, I, I think that that's you're drawing
0: a line with blowing yes. them up with black cats. Okay. It depends on the bug.
2: It depends right. on there on the there bug. are certain ones I would <laughs> gladly say, <laughs> Let's
0: do you know, so you're not allowing the mosquito to sit on your arm and say, Oh, sister mosquito, oh, why no. are you drinking my blood?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not there. <laughs> <quite> <laughs> no, <yet. laughs> we we
0: smush the mosquito. Okay.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think for myself, I mean, I've shared with my children, and of course, like, you're trying to make... Uh, well, I guess let me back up a little bit. My husband and I always say we want our kids to be better than we are. You know, we want them to learn from our mistakes. Um, you know, we know that we're not perfect people. We're all on a journey. And, and so I have shared with them, you know, something that I don't feel comfortable with in my past. You know, I guess I have a moment where I could say I was a bully, if you will. And um, it's nothing I'm proud of. But it's interesting just to kind of go back into my fourth grade head. You know, what I was doing, you know, the decision I made when I was probably not really making the life of, you know, one of my fellow classmates very easy. Um, and so that's something that I remember. And I don't even know why, um, you know, I entered into that, whether it be peer pressure you know, or whatever, but I, I definitely came to a point in my faith life um, where I recognized what I did. And I actually went and I asked her forgiveness. Um, and it still haunts me. Like, I'm like, why was I so mean? Like, I hope my children aren't like that. You know, I think that's maybe I'm more on top of them because I don't want them to, you know, I want them to be able to recognize when someone is being bullied and, and to go out and be that friend. Um, so it's like, learn from my mistakes. Please don't be like your mom. Um, I don't think I'm like that anymore. Hopefully. I'm sure we'll get some phone calls or some comments (laughs) if people think otherwise. Um, But yeah, I guess it all comes to that point where, you know, we, you, it's not only discipline, but entering into a relationship when you enter into that relationship with God. And I guess the disciple part comes in, you know, you want to be a disciple. I want to follow the Lord. Um, You know, I want to live my life for him. That, that kind of starts steering your path and helps you make those choices. You know, I guess when I was around that age, that WWJD became very popular.
2: What would Jesus do?
1: Yeah, for OGIS, since he's so young, maybe he doesn't <laughs> recognize
2: it. I used to have a slap bracelet that did that. OGIS, oh. so. oh, are you
0: a straight up millennial or are you a geriatric millennial? Uh I heard that phrase for the first time.
1: What is that? I don't know that I've I heard never
2: heard phrase. the geriatric millennial, but <laughs> I I'm at the tail end of the millennials. Like, um, like
0: you're um, you're like an adolescent millennial.
1: How would you define yourself?
2: Oh, that's a loaded question. Oh <laughs> no, with the, with it being the millennial, it's yeah, I'm still classified as that, but we don't even use that term correctly anymore. Okay, right? It's Gen Z is everyone is saying, oh, millennials do this, but they're really talking about Gen Z. Um, it's just, oh, it's somewhere where that uh, <laughs> delineation between the 1900s and the 2000s, we're just going to call that. And anyone who's near it is going to fall in that category. Is so what like know. I'm a millennial. In your heart, yes. You can be.
0: I have the freedom to choose that I'm a millennial. Is this making a choice of good? (laughs) I don't know. All right. Well, we digress. So anyway, um, I want to read one more quote from the Catholic Catechism, 1733. The more one does what is good, the freer one becomes. There is no true freedom except in the service of what is good and just. The choice to disobey to do evil is an abuse of freedom and leads to the slavery of sin. So I was mentioning a little bit about that earlier and how our how we're made and constituted. We're definitely made to be. We're made f- to have the freedom to choose the good, and it's always the choose the good that will make us free. So, oh, just uh, I just want to hear about from a youth minister perspective and with teens and uh, our youth. Uh, how does this? Um, how are the youth um, being affected by their free will and society's uh, perception of freedom versus what the church uh, adheres, understands the
2: freedom to be? I mean, first, when when you get to youth, it's when you have a kid in the beginning stages of life, it's very much the parent that they look to. right? So they learn everything from the parents. So the way the parent acts, talks, um, just lives is how they're going to try to do it. When they get older, they start to see their friends and they can kind of go on a route that, well, my friends are doing it. So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to seek validation from my friends as opposed to my parents. And then you kind of get into the, the second kind of rebellion again, where they're more confident in who they are and they'll make more individual choices. Um, and all that will stem from how they were raised uh, and what they're able to see. So um, Right now, with the youth here, uh, in this generation, they're they're very much glued to the secular world, this instant gratification. They want something, and they know it's not always plausible, but they want that. They want that feeling. Uh, We have a generation that is very much connected to emotions, and if we don't address that, from a church's perspective and say, okay, how are we really going after the emotions and really creating these encounters on an emotional level between a, someone and God, then it's not going to really last. We can preach and use all the intellectual terms that we want, but it means nothing. Right? So it's that whole new evangelize, a new evangelization, re evangelization, um, mentality that we're trying to re, uh, trying to get back into what the roots within the youth ministry.
0: You know, I, I think, uh, what, when, when you were just talking, one of the things I was thinking of, Oh, is that we ha uh, one of the most important things for our youth to, uh, understand or experience is that they have the freedom to receive the greatest of goods. Right. And what is the greatest good that there could be? OGIS. <laughs> no, no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram <laughs> TikTok <laughs> Yeah it's it's obviously the the grace uh, of Jesus Christ right and yeah. knowing that they're loved so deeply by our lord and knowing that they have this um this beautiful amazing relationship with God the Father and that there are sons and daughters that this Holy spirit cries out in their hearts, Abba father, and that whole immersion into the, the Holy Trinity and, and the experience of the love of, of God for us. I think that's the, the f- freedom is, is the freedom of receiving that first. And, and that freedom of that reception of that ends up creating that emotional by, uh, uh bow, or emotional bonds with, with God. Right. Yeah.
2: It is, it's a, uh, we keep forgetting that early Christian communities were very much relational based, right? And now we live in a, a time where we're very much siloed into different things, whether it is, this is the community for my school, this is for sports, this is for this, this is for church. And we, we've backed ourselves into a corner that we can't integrate things we can't really live a full life. And so overall health is going to go down because stress has come into it, and we forget that by choosing the good, we're aligning ourselves with God's will. And by doing that, we don't have to worry about this stress. We don't have to because God's going to take care of us, and we truly understand that. Whether it's good or bad, um, ups and downs in our life, we know that God has our back.
0: Now, what would you say to a youth, uh, OGIS, uh, and I'm sure Emily's going to have another perspective of this as a parent. But what would you say to a youth who, who comes to you and says, you know, I can't believe my parents. They won't let me do this and that. I was trying to w- wear this mini skirt out. Uh, I just wanted to go to the mall. And, and they said, my dad said it was too short and I had to change and, and uh, roll down the, the waistband. Uh, or uh, they won't let me, uh, you know, do what I want. I'm, f- I'm a free person. I can do whatever I want. What would you say to a youth Who said that? Uh,
2: If it was about a mini skirt, (laughs) I'm going to pass it on to Katie. I'll let her deal with the dress code. Uh, But, you know, it's, it's first listening to them and and understanding their frustration. Why? Um, And acknowledging that frustration. I think we forget that step is like, you know, that, yeah, that, that is tough. That is hard. Um, But no, it's, it's then starting a conversation and okay, not only how do you feel, but why do you think your dad did that? Why do you think he's wanting this? And, uh, you know, inevitably, inevitably that conversation is going to go because he's mean because he doesn't care about me because of this. And you say, oh, okay, you don't think he cares about you. Let's say, okay, what, what has he done for you to show the opposite of that? Mm-hmm. Has he provided you a home? Has he done this? Has he done this, this and this? And they can go, well, yeah, but it's like, well, no, let's, let's focus on this. He's doing these things. Um, again, it's these expectations that we, we set. We want to have boundaries. We want to have some type of structure in our life. If it was absolute freedom, it's chaotic, right? That's anarchy. And we don't really thrive in that kind of situation. Um, so again, it's going back to what like we talked about is, is love. We talk about love with God the Father and experiencing that. It's saying, okay, here on, on earth, this is my earthly father. How am I finding that love? And so trying to guide the conversation that direction.
0: Mm. Amen. And so I think, uh, I think one of the things uh, you said there, OGIS, which I think is very, it's kind of a common day phrase, a Franciscan word, accompaniment, right? Uh, you didn't say that word perspective, pers- particularly, but you said, you know, first I would see, you know, what the person, what the teen is feeling and experiencing and et cetera, and then help them see the bigger picture. And, and, um, and I think that's uh one of the things I think of when it comes to teens and they're moving from identifying themselves as part of a family to be becoming a uh, self-identified, right? So they're moving from, and so there's going to be this, this tension of, of seeking their, their own choices and the consequences of their own choices. And I think parents simply uh, need to, parents need to recognize that, but yet also continue to steer them according to, the most important directions in life. And, and I think uh, Emily, I, I'd love to hear like, what are you doing when it comes, I think you have a couple children that are getting close to teenage, right?
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> I have one teenager right now and I guess the next one is 10. And so I, it is interesting listening to just because I feel like I'm, I'm looking at my own family from two different perspectives. You know, on one hand I'm thinking back to my youth ministry days where, you know, I, it wasn't my child, but I had the youth coming to my office and sitting down on the couch and talking to me and the stresses of that was going on in their life and their relationship with their parent and just as Oja said, I walked with them to try to help them see the bigger picture and even the parents, you know, I walk with the parents to try to help communicate. Um, and it seemed so easy when it's not your own children because <laughs> now, you know, I think my perspective is changing because I feel very responsible, you know, for the children that God has entrusted me with, you know, my. My goal as a parent is to make sure that my children, you know, will attain sanctity, that they will go to heaven one day. And so I feel like there's a little bit more pressure on me. That's our
0: number one goal, right? As parents, I mean, that's for friends, for anyone. That's what we should want more than anything else. Right, right.
1: Right. It's to get them to heaven. And so it's hard because when you, you talk about free will, personally, like intellectually, I completely understand it. Nobody can be forced into a relationship, you know, if someone forced you to love God, the That's not true love. You know, that's not a true relationship. You have to have that freedom to choose um, in order to really be with God in that relationship. But as a parent who likes to control things, how do you let go? You know, how do you let go of your children? You, as I just said, you try to form them, um, offer them that opportunity to form their character and their conscience, but at some point you have to let go and let them make decisions. And I see with my friends who have older children, um, even young adult children, that they're really struggling because sometimes the kids aren't making the right choices. You know, they're questioning their faith, um, they're turning away from the church, and so it's really hard as a parent to to deal with that. Um, you know, is it something that I did, or what can I do? So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely something that people face at, across the generations.
0: You know, I think uh, as a parent to be able to give your child the appropriate amount of freedom based on their age, uh, to be able to choose the good, and sometimes because they have that choice, they, they end up choosing the bad. That's probably one of the most difficult things, right? But for the for the child to really grow up to be their own human person, they have to be able to see the difference and be able to particularly make that choice, right? So. Uh, it's I would imagine it's like, OK, I'm I'm playing soccer. Right. And um, I could be coached and I could be um, told how to play soccer and I could be, you know, maybe even practice a little bit. Um, but if I never get to play the game, I will never know what if I'm able to uh, if I'm able to re- be able to make the right decisions, if I'm able to dribble past that person, if I'm able to shoot the ball and make the goal, right? So, um, and so sometimes parents want to play the game for their child, <laughs> but the child won't have the opportunity to, um, to be able to succeed and become their own human person, Right.
1: Right. You know, it seems like it's such a fine line to walk. You know, as O just mentioned er earlier about discipline, you know, you want to discipline your children, let them know where the boundaries are um, and have consequences if they make those wrong choices. But at the same point in time, you don't want to be one of those overbearing parents where, you know, with the moment your child gets freedom, they're just going <laughs> to like take full advantage of it and go crazy because they had so much discipline. So how do you walk that line of making sure that they know the boundaries and, you know, they could try to make good decisions, but you're not totally overbearing?
0: Well, you know, a couple of sessions ago, you were saying, Emily, that um, you you give your children choices for uh, chores, right? Right. So you, you're giving them a, an ability to choose. A good, <laughs> whatever is their good, and you were kind of surprised that your child chose cleaning the bathroom right. regularly. It's like I don't think I would choose that, but um, but you know at the age appropriate level, <laughs> they're they're making a choice. Now I guess they have in that sense they have two two goods that they're choosing, right? Um, but they're activating that sense of choice within them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, as they get older, then they have a. a You know, maybe you give them uh, greater choices.
1: Right. Well, you know, I guess right now where we're at with our 13-year-old is he wants a telephone. You know, all of his friends have phones. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, we're not. We (laughs) don't. We haven't given him a phone. We don't really see the need for it. And quite frankly, just from, you know, my experience with what kids can be, um, what they can what they can see on social media. I mean, I feel like they're, that adds so many more pressures on them, peer pressure, comparison to what other kids have and they don't, potential opening them up for bullying. Um, I just feel like there are more cons and pros in that situation, but this is definitely a battle that we're entering into because I'm the only one who doesn't have a phone. We're in the pandemic. How am I supposed to talk to my friends? Um, you know, and that's that's a hard thing It's like, how do you stand your ground as a parent? Like, is this the right decision? Is this going to lead to their salvation if I give them a phone or don't give them a phone? <laughs> you
0: know, you know, I, as a priest who isn't in charge of that situation, I, I've long said that, you know, when someone can drive is when they should get a smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you could give them a go phone. Right. And say, here you go. Here's your phone. <laughs> and guess where
2: that's going to go. <laughs> so we got the phone, you know, when we drove. Um, but uh, you also have you with your kids, they're growing up in a generation or in a time where everyone has phones. You know, we were kind of, Oh, the first actual cell phones when I was really little was really make, becoming a big popular thing. So I still remember, you know, dial up internet. I still remember the, uh, big box phone, um, the flip phones and things like that that were not that good.
0: Did you ever use a payphone, Ogis? I
2: have. My mom. You've used, used you. one? No I way. I have. My mom. Uh, you are
0: definitely a geriatric millennial.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> my uh, we went to the, the the movie theater one time and we didn't. None of us had cell phones because none of us were driving. My mom had dropped us off, and she gave us like a nickel or ten cents, something really ridiculously low to use the payphone because they still had them, and we didn't have enough money. Now, again, the, the movie theater is not that far from our house, but it was just, I was just so upset that she didn't give me enough money to use this payphone and there was no money in any of the slots, <laughs> right? We used to always go and, and try to get the money out of the slots of so somebody left change, but
1: you um, didn't know how to make collect calls. <laughs>
2: I never had to make a collect call. Uh, <laughs> we're good. With
0: that. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's a great point and a perspective that you can provide a little bit more, um, from my perspective, obviously growing up, I didn't have a cell phone until I was, um, and until I was late into seminary. So I was like 29, 30, 31 until I got my first cell phone. Right. So, uh, that's a lot different than, uh, someone who is, uh, 13 <laughs> right. receiving their first cell phone and, and everyone else around them have had their cell phone since they were 10 or, or nine or younger. Uh, But uh, I do also think uh, appropriately, you know, sometime between 13 and 16 is the right time to give your child a cell phone because you don't want to restrict them from having a cell phone. And then all of a sudden they turn 18 and they don't know how to use it. Right. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to have uh, a parent monitoring their cell phone and be able to say, oh, you know, you went to the, uh, these porn sites and what, what's this about? Or no, you're spending too much time on, on this. And so what, what, you know, you can't spend this much time on the cell phone, you know, you gotta, so that's part of as uncomfortable as that is on a parent. But, you know, if you give your child the phone, it's not their phone, it's your phone that they're using and you have the right to, to monitor it. And ultimately it's helping them to be able to utilize this great technology so they Choose the good so they can be free and not enslaved to the phone. And that's the biggest place of lack of freedom, whether it's pornography, whether it's the Instagram and the TikToks or YouTubes, or whether it's just being on the screen time or having a crisis. If your phone is not in the same room with you. Right. Uh, thinking part of your, your brain has been ripped from your, your, your body, you know, if the phone has been taken away. Uh, we've seen that in some youth ministry retreats where someone has had a psychological breakdown because their phone was, we asked that they uh, leave their phone in a basket uh, for the retreat. But no, that's a place where, boy, yeah the kid has a freedom. We all have freedom to use the the technology, but
2: it can be one that enslaves us right and if we're not choosing the good and you're still giving them even if you're monitoring, you see what's going on. you're still giving them that choice and those choices to fail, mm-hmm. which is very, very important and and not having kids, I can say that easily. I know Emily, you can't uh you don't want your kid to fail, but through that failure that, you know, we learn from every experience, but it's that failure that we can grow really in our character and really understand more of who we are in God's eyes and and how we should be viewing that.
1: You know, um, something that I I think talked to you about Father Jason previously was about parenting styles. And so I, I think, I think you're right. I think it's really important that we give them the opportunity to fail. And I would say like in our family, I would say my my husband, Felipe, is definitely a little bit more of the strict one. Um, but I really appreciate it because we've had this conversation where we say, I would much rather them fail in our house and get, you know, a strict consequence than do something horrible later in life because they don't learn these little lessons. Like, they need to know that if these are the boundaries that we create, then if you step over this line, then there will be a consequence. And I, and I think it's important because I think you'll see with kids – how they act with their parents or even with their grandparents, for instance. Like, they know that they can take advantage of the situation. So I have a two-year-old who, up until recently, our um, my mother-in-law was living with us, and I'm so thankful for her. But she's a grandma, and that's her role, which is to love them and <laughs> to spoil them. And so, you know, if Isabella wasn't behaving, she would try to count to three. But she would never get past two, (laughs) you know, it's like one, two, two, two and a half, you know, she didn't want to have to punish. And, um, and, and that's not her, her place. You know, my place as a parent is to be able to help instill those boundaries and those consequences. So I do agree with that. Um, You know, but how do you prepare them for the big life decisions? I mean, oh, just, do you have kids coming into your office? um, You know, Melt, melting down on the on the reciprocal end, you know, because they don't have the telephone or because their parents do this, like what kind of advice do you give them or what advice do you give to parents to help walk through that process?
2: Well, yeah, I've had a few of those. Um, it's again, letting you give them the kid choices or the parent choices where they, they're both can be positive choices. So I can say, okay, you can have your phone, but it you have to only use it here. It has to stay on the table in front of you. So we're not going to take it from you. But I have to be able to see it and you can't or um, or you put your phone in your bag, which is at your feet. Again, it's where you are. It's still you. And you let them make that decision when they make those decisions. They take that ownership. And a lot of times for the kid, they need just to know that we trust them. To make these decisions and these right decisions and constantly just be like, "Okay, hey, you're not doing what I asked you to do. Remember, if you don't do it. We're going to take that phone and then actually standing by your convictions. Right. Uh, With parents, it's the same kind of concept when they come in frustrated, they call or email. Um, My kid is not doing this. They don't want to, to listen to me and I'm the bad guy. I'm constantly the bad guy. And it's just, again, accompanying the parent through that, but saying that's okay. You know, you have to be the bad guy at times, but make sure that we continue to create these memories of just joy and love. So when they're looking back at their life, they're going to see this full picture, and hopefully they focus more on the joy. Um, But being a bad guy is not bad. I know it sounds kind (laughs) of counterintuitive to say that, but they need that. They need that. It's a tough form
0: of love, right? And parents are not the hang out friends of their children, <laughs> their teenage children. And the children are not the advisors of the parents. No, the parents have moments where they have tough love for their children, for the good of their children, right? And make that 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 positive good choice to to provide structure and discipline. I'm, uh, you know, the, our remaining time here, a couple minutes, I, I would love to hear, um, Emily, I mean, like I, th- I think uh, – your your oldest child is 13, and he's at a point, um, that studies show between 11 and 13, where you start to uh, take on the faith. You choose the faith or you, you don't. And we know so many parents where uh, their children have seemed to go in another direction when it comes to faith. Do you have any insight on that or any thoughts?
1: Yeah. So, you know, first of all, step back you know, put like a youth minister hat on, I definitely think that if you can get kids involved in the church in middle school, um, that they are going to be more likely to have a strong, um, Lifelong faith, you know, when before they get involved in all the extracurricular activities that start taking precedence, you know, if if church or going to youth group can be a part of like something that they're passionate about, that they love, they have that friends and that peer network. Then I've seen just through like my experience that they do become more involved um, and it's more genuine. And then when they get more things on their plate, you know, maybe they're looking for a job or they have extracurriculars it's something that, no, this is important to me. I want to make sure that we make space for it. So I, you're right. I absolutely agree that, um, you know, young adolescents, middle school, we need to get our kids involved. Um, something else that I see, you know, within my own son is in everything that we've talked about, you know, you can't force it. It has to be a personal relationship, you know, and in our life, um, we pray together as a family and, um, you know, so that's like a daily thing. Every evening we pray together, we do the examine, um, And I think it's important to build that into their life. But above and beyond family prayer, um, I guess something I just want to throw out there is that I think it's important for parents to pray for their children. Mm. And I also think it's important to maybe have an expectation in in your house that your children have their own personal prayer time. Um, That way, it's something that they can own. You know, it's not just mom and dad, you know, have their prayer prayer time or as a family, but they have that their own time that they can learn to talk to God um, and maybe wrestle with some of those questions that they have. So that's something that I think um, in my life, and I mean, I feel so blessed and I think my son is amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's 13, so we'll see what's coming around, <laughs> around the corner. Well, um, well, we
2: do still have summer events uh, for everyone, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> and not just letting the kids come and, and be at the church and making good friendships, you know, that's what we're hoping to do but they also are still okay with their parents being involved in that. Mm-hmm. I think people don't realize that this is still an age. We don't want to overcrowd our kids like we talked about, but we can still be involved in different things that they're doing, whether it's sports. I can coach the sports, you know, any of the team. I can do a catechist for faith formation. I can do this. I can do that. But I don't have to be directly one-on-one with the kid 24-7. Um, And so we do want to still encourage that, especially when they are coming to church, if they don't see the family together all the time, then it creates a a different image, right?
0: You know, I think one of the things uh, uh, that, uh, that is very important when it comes to adolescent and faith, you know, so a lot of parents might start freaking out. Oh no. My, my kid says he doesn't want to go to church or he's starting to question whether or not he believes that God exists. and, and when we when a ch- child goes into adolescence, they're going to start questioning a lot of different things because they're trying to understand themselves within the role of of their family, nuclear family, and they're trying to uh, uh, self-identify. So, and faith is part of that question. I think there's a movement towards uh, movement away from you know strictly this is what the church teaches, you know, and a movement towards. Uh, occasionally saying, this is why I believe, you know, this is, these are, and even, and I love how Emily kind of talked about uh, her story about um, making the mistake of uh, bullying in fourth grade and, and how uh, through her own faith discovery, like she recognized, no, there's a better way. Right. And I think sometimes, appropriately, like, like parents can actually for their teenage uh, sons and daughters be able to witness, okay, yeah, this is, I've made some mistakes. I mean, the kids already know it for sure. (laughs) If you think you're the perfect parent, forget about it. Okay. So uh, the kids already know, but to be able to say, and boy, you know this, but this is why I'm a person of faith because this is what a life lived with God has given me. I've chosen the other path where what I thought was going to free me actually enslaved me and didn't make me a better person. But when I chose the the good um, and all the different ways that that might look like, then it has given me greater life. And I think parents, if they can occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally be, uh, give that story or that witness to their teenage uh, child, that can be a powerful way to help them to grow in their faith, their ability to choose the greatest good, which is, which is God, right?
2: Yeah. And not getting frustrated when the child inevitably follows in your footsteps, you know, that, that happens a lot. And some of the times it's the way we react to hearing that is I did that. I told you not to do it. And then you still did it. I'm going to kind of go and just be mad. And it's, again, how are you actually viewing it from the other person's perspective? Why are they making these choices? Um, What's influencing them and, and how do you as a parent correctly counteract those things, mm-hmm. those influences out?
0: Excellent. Well, at this time, I think it's good for us to throw down some tools. You know, this is St. Joseph Workshop and we have a bunch of tools and we just threw down a, a a number of different tools, uh, and we're going to recap those at this point. Uh, Emily, can you start us off?
1: Right. So we did say a lot of different tools. So what, the first one I'm going to throw out there is pray. I think that prayer is something, as I mentioned, that it's not only important for you to do as a parent, pray for your child, pray with them, and have them have a life of prayer. So I'm going to throw that for the first tool. And
0: just, I just love what you said, Emily, about how you having an organized kind of quiet time or prayer time for the, the whole family at a home. And so the child has ability to choose how to pray they want. I think that's brilliant.
1: All right. So second tool, I'm going to steal one that Oja said, he said, create memories of joy and love. And I think that that is really crucial, especially when you talk about creating boundaries and discipline that you don't want that to be the overshadowing thing in your family, you know, to have those moments of love so that they feel that security and why you're doing what you're doing.
2: Yeah, we did that uh, family dinners. We had weekly family dinners where we would put on CDs and so you know you create that atmosphere and we just talk and you know I thought you were going to say you, you danced and stuff. Uh, sometimes there was <laughs> dancing. Um, I have some great dancing that to I see, never I show. would
0: love to see that. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go I'll go number 3. Number 3, the the third tool I'd love to give to y'all is uh, for parents to be a kind of Uh, Transparent, honest, be able to give your witness, be able to share uh, appropriately with your child, especially teenage child, moments where you freely chose something that was not the good and how that affected your life to the negative and then how choosing good and choosing God actually uh, improved your life.
1: All right. I'm going to say that our last one, number four, is trust. I think it's really important that we trust in God. Um, you know, As much as we want our children to go to heaven, believe it or not, God loves them even more and more so than us wants them to be there, that Christ gave down his own life for them. So I think we need to just ultimately trust in the Lord.
0: All right. These are our four tools for the St. Joseph workshop. Uh, Oh, just man. It's been great just to have you uh, on this podcast and be able to chat and talk and hear your voice through this microphone system, which it's a little (laughs) bit uh, deeper and, and more powerful in real life, um, actually, I don't know what I just said.
2: <laughs> uh, basically, my voice is bad. It's, it's what I got from this, but that's okay. I'll I'll work on that. But no, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Oh, it's been awesome. Any any words you want to say at the very end here? You know, it's with freedom and everything. Just live life in a way that you can be proud of, right? You want to be able to say, I am proud of my kids. I'm proud of my spouse. I'm proud of myself, Because ultimately, that means you're most likely making the right decisions.
0: All right. Emily, any last words here?
1: Um, You know, I think that's I just want to thank you, Ojas, as well for joining us. And also, I just have to, you know, as well put a plug in to say, I feel very confident knowing that you're here at St. Joseph and that I could send my son to you. Um, So thank you for the role that you've taken up and the mission that you're a part of here at the parish. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. We are all a work in progress, so be sure to tune in next time to gain new tools to help you build the church at home.
0: And I'd like to give you all a final blessing. So we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of being made in your image and likeness, the ability to choose the good and to choose it. And so we ask that we may have the strength and courage to be able to choose the good in our life and choose the greatest good, which is your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And may mighty God bless each of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.